You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So it wasn't really until I started serving here as pastor that I started to embrace the the reality and the beauty behind the season of Advent. Uh, done lots of preaching in other places, but never a full season of just specific Advent, an Advent season. And I began to to celebrate Christmas, I get, like a Christmas sermon talking joy to the world, Christ is born, Christ is here. That is is an obvious thing to celebrate, Christmas Day, to rejoice that Jesus was born, that that indeed uh, God took on flesh and and dwelt among us. Easy to celebrate that. that's what, but to sing joy to the world is only the appropriate response we can have when it comes to Christmas. But Advent is this particular season in anticipation of Christmas. That it's, it's specific and it's longing. Come thou long expected Jesus. And that's why there's, it's not four weeks of Christmas. It's four weeks of anticipation for the coming of Christmas. For the coming of the Redeemer. That song is a song of longing. Come thou long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. There's this longing, this desire. And that's what's particular about the season. Season of Advent. It's a season of waiting and expectation. And what's tied up in the reality of waiting and expectation is that there is something really incredible on its way. Like there's something, it's a joyful, anticipatory, excited waiting. It isn't a dreadful waiting, like, you know, we're just waiting because we have to wait, but that there is something really worthwhile on its way. Something good is coming, and we live in a season of longing. 
Christianity has this double reality working in the lives of believers at all times. There is first and foremost, or maybe not foremost, but there is a current joy in the knowledge of who they are in Christ right now. There is a very much a real present joy in who we are in Christ right now. And alongside of that, the same time, same time as that, there's this continuous joy in the coming consummation. There's a continuous joy and expectation of the full consummation of what Christ has accomplished for us. There's joy in the knowledge in in. That's, that's not right. There's joy in the knowledge of who we are right now and hopeful joy and expectation of what has yet to be. So we live in a season of longing. There is joy in present truth and in the coming promise. For instance, we think of a passage like Romans 8.1, which says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now, right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Realizing from Paul's argument all the way from the beginning of Book of Romans, the first three chapters, the dive into the depravity of mankind, where we see like a passage like Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then Jesus comes onto the scene and he takes the sins of the world upon himself so that everyone trusting in him, turning from their sins, confessing them as sin, and trusting in Jesus is justified, is made righteous in God's sight, is adopted into his family, made one with him. And so with, Paul goes on with this climactic phrase of there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a present joy that we live with in the gospel. Romans 5.1 says along this same thing when there is this, uh, that there is, oh that's Romans 8.1. Did I mess those up? <laughs> now I've got to look because I'm afraid I've messed that up. Does anyone know off the top of their head? Romans 8, 1, that's right. Romans 5, 1, since therefore we have, that's the Romans 5, 1, since therefore we have been justified by faith. Romans 5, 1, therefore since we have been justified by faith. So I got it right, just to correct, okay? <laughs> Romans 5, 1 is that therefore since we have been justified. There is a present reality that in Christ our justification is secure. If you have turned from your sins, confessing them as sin, as you continue to repent, Martin Luther famously saying that the, what, the whole of Christian life is one of repentance. As we continuously repent from our sins and turn to Jesus, we have justification. We have right standing with God. So there is a present joy. And yet, we live in this time what's sometimes called the already and the not yet. There is something yet that we're longing for. Because we live in a world that still is plagued with sickness, with suffering, still plagued with sin. When, when Christ returns to consummate his kingdom, not only is sickness and suffering and sadness gone, but sin itself will be put away. We will be liberated from sinful desire. We will live as God made us to be nothing but for his glory. 
That will be a good day. There is a full consummation yet coming. All has not been made fully well yet. We still suffer. We still struggle. We still sin and we're still sinned against. The full arrival of God's promises have yet to arrive. And what are some of those promises? That's what our kind of our title of our Advent series is. Tidings of true comfort and eternal joy in Jesus. God rest ye merry, gentlemen. God rest you happily rest because we have tidings of true comfort and eternal joy that are in Jesus. That's what we're looking at this Advent season. What are these promises, these tidings of true comfort and eternal joy in Jesus? Last week, we looked at the promise from Micah 5.2 that's saying, coming one from Bethlehem who will himself be our peace. Not only is he going to bring peace, but he's going to embody in himself. He is going to be our peace. This week, we're looking at the promise from the mouth of Gabriel as he comes to Mary. And he has this announcement, this arrival of Jesus. And he says at the very end of our text, all we're going to focus on this morning is there at the end of verse 33, where he says, well, maybe 32. He says that he'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. What does that mean? He will reign over the house of Jacob. That's God's people, the house of Jacob, the Israelites, but fully God's people. But lastly, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. The coming son of Mary will be the true son of David. He will sit on his throne and he will be the king whose kingdom will not end. Now, is that something, is that something new to Gabriel? Like Gabriel just showed up and all of a sudden he's introducing new ideas, throne of David, a kingdom that will never end. No, Gabriel is... You could say steeped in his biblical theology. He's got a lot of understanding of the Old Testament because he's there in the courts of heaven as it's all playing out. But he, he knows that these, these statements of being on the throne of his father David and his kingdom having no end, that they're grounded in biblical history. Last week we talked just briefly about Genesis 3.15, right? The proto-euangelion, the first gospel, where we hear this promise of a coming seed who's going to bruise the head of the serpent while himself being bruised in the heel. And, and ever since that first gospel, God's people have been looking, when is this seed of the woman, when is this son going to show up and defeat the serpent? The first gospel. But this language from Gabriel is even more specific, and it has specific reference to the history of God's people. You can flip with me if you'd like to do a little Bible workout this morning. Flip with me to Isaiah chapter 9. It's what Joel read for us this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. Listen to this language. Isaiah chapter 9. Let's look just at verses 6 and 7. For unto us, for to us, a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David. 
Remember Gabriel saying he's going to sit on his father, sit on the throne of David? Here Isaiah, several hundred years earlier, is giving this prophecy about a coming son, coming king, coming ruler. He's going to sit on the throne of, his day, of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. There's an eternal kingdom coming, the throne of David. There's one coming, a king, who's going to sit on the throne of David, and his kingdom will have no end. Is Isaiah pulling that out of nowhere? Well, no, we can trace that back. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is kind of the famous Davidic covenant section here where God makes a promise. The word covenant essentially means it's a promise. God makes a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. God speaking to David says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David has a son on the way who's going to sit on his throne and it's going to have a kingdom that's going to last forever. Now immediately, if you know your Bible, you know that is in somewhat a reference to his son Solomon. Solomon is going to show up and he's going to build the temple and there's a kingdom. It's going to be a glorious kingdom. But Isaiah, you remember when we read the Isaiah 9 passage? Isaiah is after Solomon. Isaiah is, is, is many years removed, many more kings removed, and there's the destruction is coming to the people of God. The Assyrians have already captured, I believe, the northern countries at this point, the northern section, northern tribes of Israel. So Isaiah knows this isn't Solomon. Solomon has come and gone. Isaiah still, though, believes this Davidic covenant. There is one coming who's going to establish a kingdom that will never end. A kingdom of justice and of righteousness that will not end. How sure is the coming of this covenant? As you're flipping around with me, go to Jeremiah chapter 33. A little Bible workout this morning. Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 20 through 21. This is again many years after, I, after the Davidic covenant, words from God. Jeremiah prophesying. This is on page 787 of your pew Bible, if you're following along there. Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 20 through and 21. Verse 19, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord... If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with, my, with David, my servant, may be broken. If you can break the covenant between day and night, that the sun comes up, night goes away, the sun goes down and night appears, if you can break that covenant, if that covenant can be broken, God is saying, then my covenant with my servant David may also be broken. What's he talking about? The permanency and the security of this promise. This one who's going to sit on the throne of David, who's going to have a kingdom of righteousness and justice that will last forever. As sure as we have day and night, that kingdom will come. Then also my covenant with David, my ser servant, may be broken so that he may not, shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests my ministers. The security of 
this covenant. As sure as day stays and night stays night, as sure as day stays day and night stays night, God will bring this about. What is the most permanent thing that you can think of? So anything that lasts forever. I mean, you just look around at our world, you look at our buildings. You know, does anyone else, I'm sure you, a lot of you do follow Mike Abbott and his Facebook page. And Tony's actually got one that has a lot of Reno County history. And you look at the past buildings and you would have thought living at those times, those buildings are going to be there forever. That's 100 years ago. They're gone. What's permanent in this life? Is there anything that lasts forever? When it comes to the establishment of Christ's kingdom, God promises us there will be no end. Everything that we know in this life does come to an end. Another, another thing that I've learned pastoring here is not only the, the meaningfulness of Advent, but something that has become clearer to me during my time here is the finality of so much of life. You know, I'd never done a full funeral on my own before I came here. Maybe I should have revealed that in my pastoral interview. I'd never done a full funeral. John Morrison, I think it was a couple of weeks into my pastoral ministry here. It wasn't long. John was my first, like, full funeral. Like, no, it's, you got you to gotta do this thing. And I had to kind of learn on the fly what a funeral is supposed to be. And I've lost count now at this point. I don't, I don't know how many funerals that I have ended up uh, or, uh, officiating over. To say that I enjoy a funeral wouldn't be the right way to say it because they are sad, sobering events. But there is something extremely beneficial about being sobered up to what really matters in this life. Will we give our lives to make a difference, not just here, but in the final analysis? How can we be sure that we won't waste our lives by giving them in service to a kingdom that will not fade? How can we be sure that our investment won't end up for nothing by making an investment in a treasure that is kept for heaven where thief cannot break in and steal, where moth and rust do not destroy your treasure in heaven with Christ? How can we be sure that we don't waste our lives by giving our lives in service to a kingdom that will not fail or fade away? The Christian lives with a joy and a certain hope when it comes to these realities. We live with joy because of the promise that through faith in the work of Christ, we are made citizens of this kingdom. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 2. Our Wednesday night Bible study has been going through. Our discipleship group has been going through Ephesians chapter 2, spending some time talking about the reality that in Christ he has made the two one and that through him we have become citizens of his kingdom. That what Christ accomplishes, not just in his incarnation, but his righteous life, never sinning, full, fully fulfilling the law of God, and then dying the death that sinners deserve, shedding his own blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. What he is doing in this act is he is, through faith in his work, bringing us all, uniting us all together and in him and enveloping us in this citizenship in his eternal kingdom. Not only is this kingdom that we hear about, this prophecy to Mary from the mouth of Gabriel and all throughout the history of God's people, not only is this kingdom eternal, 
Not only is this kingdom going to last forever, but through our union with Christ, this eternal kingdom can become yours. We can live for something that will not fade away, that cannot be stolen, that cannot be shut down, that can't be voted out. We can live for something that never dies. It's Christ and his kingdom. That's good news. That's good news. When life fades away, when your work here is done, when you're forgotten, when like Psalm 103 says, the flower springs up and then it dies and then the, or the grass springs up and dies, the wind blows away and its place is forgotten no more, it goes back to bare ground. When that happens, when we fade away, Christ's kingdom will not be diminished in the least. And if you are his through faith in his work, your presence in that eternal kingdom is secured. The sorrows, the sufferings that you have had to endure by God's ordained mercy, as 1 Peter tells us, they'll one day cease. Christ has secured a kingdom and he invites you into it. John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says that all that the Father gives to me will come and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to his kingdom, he will never cast them out. It's an eternal kingdom that if it is yours through faith in Christ, you cannot lose. Practically, how does that impact our lives today? Well, what kingdom are we seeking to build? What kingdom's success will bring us the most joy? Or maybe ask, what kingdom failure frustrates us the most? What most upsets you if you may not get it to go your way? You want to know why? It's because we aren't trusting God and treasuring his kingdom, but seeking to build our own. Our natural inclination, what kingdom we reflexively give our energies to, is the kingdom of our own imagination. Our bent by our sin nature, the incurvatus in se, the bent in upon ourselves, the kingdom that we all reflexively, intrinsically desire to build is our own kingdom. We want to put ourselves on the throne and rule from on high and make all of you do exactly what I want you to do. That's what we all intrinsically, and you all, I put myself out there, but you all could get up here and say the same thing, that we are naturally bent to say, my kingdom must be done. That's why kids frustrate us so much. That's why when we get home from work and we have our nostalgic idea of, oh, I get home, it's the snow, it, these, this is what's coming up. Here's my, here's my perfect night. It's a snowy day. I've worked hard. I've marched around. It's been cold. I'm going to go home and there's, we're going to get under the blanket. We're going to read a book together and we're going to have hot cocoa. Maybe I'll have coffee and we're just going to read a book and we're going to snuggle and then we're going to take showers, put on pajamas, you know, and just, you know, that never goes that way. And it instantly makes me mad. Why? Because my, king, my kingdom is not being, my will is not being done. My kingdom is not coming. And I'm furious about it. Because my sin nature wants my kingdom to be, to be built instead of trusting Christ and treasuring his kingdom overall. The biggest problem with building our own kingdom is that it is idolatry. And it ought to be mortified, killed, and repented of. It ought to be killed. It's idolatry. But furthermore, secondly, it'll be a frustrating pursuit because of the reality of sin and suffering. You will not be able to manifest your kingdom in the way that you want it to. God has, in his providential grace, wired and frustrated our kingdom building that we might look to a better kingdom than our own. And thirdly, 
even as you may get close to making your kingdom your way. Let's say that night went perfect for me. That night will not last forever. My kingdom will eventually go down. No matter how great I may be able to build it, my kingdom will fail. The kingdom, I will have wasted my life on an empty and a failing kingdom. But there is one that does not end. So things may not go exactly the way that I want them to and the way I think they should go. But what is our job here? What is my job here? To fight and to force, to manipulate and manhandle in an effort to get my results in this life, to build my kingdom? No, that's not my job. And it isn't yours either. My calling and your calling as a follower of Christ is to be faithful to him and to trust him as he builds his kingdom through his people. We stand for truth. We love God supremely and our neighbors as ourselves, as the Spirit empowers us, but we do not seek our kingdom first. We don't even belong to our kingdom. Our citizenship is with him. We belong to his, and it's a far better one. So today, this Advent season, we first of all rejoice that Christ, that citizenship in Christ's eternal kingdom has been purchased by the blood of Christ and given to us through him. And secondly, we ground ourselves in God's promises that he will not fail to bring about his glorious kingdom. It is a pillow you can rest your head upon at night. And it is a, a battle cry to love radically, to love sacrificially, to stand for truth in the face of adversaries because there is an eternal, good, glorious kingdom worth inheriting, worth living, and worth dying for. God promises that he will not fail to bring about this glorious kingdom for his own glory and for our ultimate good. So as we celebrate this Advent season, we acknowledge that we are waiting, but it will come. It will come. Christ's kingdom ha that has no end will come. And therefore, we put our hope and our confidence in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, this Advent season, as we do think about this longing expectation that we have for your eternal kingdom, Father, ground our hearts in the hope that is only in you. Father, I pray for my own heart, for every heart in this room. Convict us, Father, of the areas where we are seeking our own way over yours. Father, the areas of my life where I don't care what your revealed word says, where I don't care what is right and what is good, what is righteous and what is just, the areas where I say I just want it my way, Father, grant us repentance in this room this morning that we would turn from our idolatry, that we would turn from serving ourselves. And God, we would, we would die like we celebrated in baptism a few weeks ago, that we would remember our baptism. We died to our own ways. We were buried under the waters of baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, living for a kingdom, not our own, but God, that is not a letdown. <laughs> what a joy it is to not be in bondage to try to build my kingdom but to live in glad service and slavery indeed even to a kingdom that has no end. And God, may the joy of that kingdom envelop us this Advent season. Father, as we head into even this morning a time of 
communion, God, may we remember and rejoice in the shed blood of Jesus that secures our citizenship into this kingdom. May we not forget all that you gave to give what we do not deserve and could not earn, but by your grace and your mercy you gave. What a glorious, beautiful gift this is. Help us, God, to celebrate it, to see it, and to celebrate it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.